I'm not going to say wrong. Blog Talk Radio. Well, I'm trying to play the music even though Jay's not here and it's not going to play, so I'm not going to play it. Okay. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, December the 8th, 2016. This is Michael Norris along with Bobby Simmons and Jerry Oates, our director and producer and switchboard operator. Jay West is not going to be with us this evening. He's uh, still suffering some issues with his back and uh he had to have an MRI and everything, so we're letting him uh, take some uh, work, workman's compensation time. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know we had that. Hopefully, he'll, hopefully he'll be back with us uh, next week. Guys, I tell you what, we've got what uh, three weeks left in, in December, and I wish it would hurry up and get over with because there's more people dying every day than, than uh, we can stand. We lost John Glenn today. Yeah, that's, that's well. Now he lived the American dream. Yes, he did. Absolutely. He did I mean, what a, what a great life. I mean, I mean, you just can't even imagine. I can, anyhow. Hey, you would think that going what? to the moon would be enough, but you know, he continued on and did other things as well. Yeah, at least he was the first man that ever did something. That means. You know, I'd rather be the first man that did so. I, well, I survived Hans Schmidt. I wasn't the only one. But. <laughs> <laughs> Think about what tremendous shape he had to be in to qualify to go back into space when he was, what, 70? 70 in his, in his 70s, yeah. I mean, geez. you got to admire Just that. amazing. We lost, uh, I heard on the radio, we lost uh, uh, Lake from Emerson Lake in Palmer. Uh, yeah, Greg Lake. Yeah, lost him. Not yesterday. to be confused with uh, Greg Greg Pace, who used to wrestle under the name Greg Lake. Greg Lake, yeah. Yeah, uh, Greg Lake was also with the band King Crimson. If you've ever heard of them, they were a progressive rock group in the '60s prior to Emerson Lake and Palmer. I tell you, it's been particularly bad on the music business this year. Yeah. And the thing is, in my humble opinion, there's nobody coming up behind these people to to fill their shoes because it's just like the wrestling business. I mean, it's just the, the music business has changed so much that it's, it's unbelievable. It really has. I mean, it's... I can't listen to that stuff today, man. I just cannot do yeah. it. I can't. Yeah, Bobby and I went. Uh, he carried me. Was good enough to take me to the uh, to the doctor yesterday, and we were listening to the '60s channel on Sirius, and that's uh, just reminds you how simple and how good music was back in those days without auto tune and. <laughs> yeah, I listened to the sixties and seventies, and that—that's I don't under, understand anything past that. You, you can't understand anything they're saying, Bobby. No, I can't. No, no. I still hear pretty good. I, you know, it's, I don't think it's my hearing. Maybe it's my understanding. I don't get. I don't know. Well, I tell you something, Mr. Oates. I learned something uh, yesterday. What's uh, that, Bobby? Mike w- would have been a heck of a baby face. What I took do? him out. I took him out to breakfast yesterday, and. 
we went across the street, and I bumped his little wheelchair up on the curb. We went in and had a nice breakfast and talked a while. I went to pay. Well, when I turned around, he was gone. I thought, where did he go? And I thought, oh, God, he's he was the, the ramps for the sidewalk are all the way at the corners of the block, and we were like in the middle of the block. So I come out, and I look up the street to my left, and he's not there. And I turn and look to the right, and about 15 yards down the street, Here's Mike sprawled out on the sidewalk, the wheelchair's upside down, and these two guys had he got so much sympathy, two guys jumped out of the car and was picking him up and putting him back in the wheelchair by the time I got down there. Now how did you do that? I, I misjudged uh well the way the sidewalk was and, and the one the the ramp I was headed to was, was it was only about maybe twenty yards. It wasn't all that far, and, you know, I thought Bobby's paying, you know, I'll just, you know, he's on across the street and everything. Well, what I did is where I, I didn't notice that the sidewalk kind of split, and I just, I, I went too far to the uh, to the left. He got too close to the fell curb. Off, fell off the curb. <laughs> but, did you uh, put yourself, did you? No, I, I skimped my knees a little bit, but other than that, I'm fine. I, I, you know, I sold it a little bit. Well, I'm sure you did. <laughs> well, I was I was good. I did not laugh. I made sure he was all right. But when did I turned and looked down there and seen him sprawled out, I thought, this is good. Did you walk by him and tell him you've never seen that guy before in your life? <laughs> I just walked down there. I think I asked him something along the lines of, did you accomplish what you set out to do? <laughs> Lord have mercy on my soul. But no, you know, the last little... bump I... The last bump I took was in December two years ago, so I guess December's my my month for bumps, two years apart. Yeah. Well, another another uh, another one that we need to have, get a little sympathy to. Uh, Tom Resto Jr. had to have surgery today. He had a he uh, he fell down the steps here a couple of weeks ago in in the house yeah. and it broke his arm, and uh, he went down to the Houston Clinic there in Columbus, and they. They told him they wanted to splint it and let the swelling go down before they casted it. So when he went back yesterday to get the cast put on, they took x-rays and told him, no, nope, you got to have a pen and a plate, or a couple of pens and a plate. So uh, he had to, he got that done this morning. I haven't heard anything, but I think he got it done this morning. Hmm. Not one thing, it's another, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wonder what he was in such a hurry to get down the steps for. Somebody must have been asking him to do a favor for him or something. <laughs> I don't know now. I just, I just, I have no idea. I'm... You're just a messenger, right? Yes, sir. I'm not being judgmental. <laughs> I, I found out about. I called my daughter last night to find out something about Christmas, and she was up at her mom's and told me that you know Tom had fell and they were. She was going to spend the night and help take care of the grandkids while they went to the to the little operation. So, do your kids still live in Columbus, Valley? Lisa, Lisa, and uh, her husband and my grandson live in Midland, a little bit out of town there, right off of Highway 80, making highway there. Midland is. They're they're right there, and uh, my son lives off of Moon Road. That's where their house is. I know where that is too. So they're they're still there. Lisa, Lisa, Lisa will never. Lisa will be there. She works. Her and my son-in-law both work for Aflac, and they've got great jobs. And uh, they will. Uh, they'll be there from now on. But I think my son 
His wife's in nursing school. She works at St. Francis, and she's uh, she's going for her RN. I think when she gets that, there's a good chance he may move a little closer to Atlanta. He wants to get up around noon in there somewhere, but he uh, he works for he works for Wow, which is a uh, I call it a cable company, but they're not cable. They do fiber optics. And they have like internet and TV and telephones and that sort of stuff. So he can no he so he can uh, he can transfer. They own a company there in Noonan, so he can transfer. And he's talking about that, but I'll believe it when I see it. But working for Aflac's no joke, man. That's a great place to work. Oh, there. Let me tell you something. When my grandson was diagnosed with leukemia way back eleven years ago, uh, and he had to have that stem cell transplant. Lisa was the first employee Aflac ever allowed to have company secured documents put on a laptop where when she was in Minneapolis for this operation for four months, she could continue to work. She never missed a paycheck. Uh, When the bill came in for the stem cell transplant, Aflac paid for it at 100%, which was a little over a million bucks. And when they got ready for them to come home, they flew that private jet they own to Minneapolis and brought my son-in-law and my daughter and my grandson home. Let me tell so, you something. They're class act. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Me and I that duck's that tight. I, I know that full fact. So they're very. They they've been. They're, they both have great jobs, and so uh, well, that's my son-in-law wonderful. teaches agents how to uh, how to settle claims, and my daughter is a. She's a liaison between the major, some of the major accounts in the company. When they have a problem, they fly her all over the country to meet with the with the clients and stuff. So they love their jobs, and I'm, they're doing good. Well, that's 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 a wonderful place to work. You tell people about the guy that owned or he started it or whatever. You tell people that he had a house on top of a parking deck, and they think you're crazy. But it's you can go down there and look at it. John Amos started that door to door. Yep. Didn't Mr. Ward get in on that on the ground floor of that? Yeah, him and John Amos was tight. I told you about Jack Vince, didn't I? I tell you all that story. I don't know. I don't now, remember. Jack Vince was living in Oregon, and so when John Amos got that thing, was getting it off the ground, Mr. Ward, he bought tons of stock. It was dirt cheap, you know. So he got eighty grand to buy some, and uh, Jack Bence, you know, he was in the territory. Territory then he bought some, and I don't know who all bought it. That's way before I got in the business. So years later, now Mr. Ward told me the story. So Jack Bence gave him a gave him a call. He forgot all about it, you know. Just went on to other territories, and I bought some stock, and you know how that goes, you know. So. He called Mr. Ward, and he said, Yeah, Fred, said, this is Jack Benz. How you doing, blah, blah, blah. He said, I'm out in Oregon. I don't know what kind of business he was in. He was going to buy. He wanted to buy some piece of equipment or something. He said, you know that 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 insurance you got me to buy all those years ago? He said, yeah. Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He said, could you check on it and see what that's worth today? I don't know how much he bought, probably 100 bucks worth or something. I don't know. Mr. Ward checked on it, called him back. He said, you got $68,000 worth of stock. He said, Jack Vince, I'm on 
He said, thank you very much. Isn't that something? He forgot about it. And that was a smart thing to do. He bought it and Left it alone. Yep. Jeez. Mr. Ward. How long was me, Jack Benz? Jack Benz must have been in the business 40 years. Oh, he has. Because I know he was around I mean, in the early 50s. I saw him as a kid, I'm telling you. Yeah, me too. Well, that was in the 60s, I mean, and he'd been wrestling nearly 20 years by that point. Because uh, I know he came through Mobile the first time in 57, 58. And he would come back periodically every day. He made at least one appearance every decade until Lee sold out. He, uh, I remember exactly what he looked like. He was kind of thick. I remember exactly what he looked like. Cowboy Jack Benz. I don't know if he was from Portland or where he was from. That's where he was living. He was always billed as being from Texas somewhere, but that was part of his gimmick because he always, well, most of the time he worked a cowboy gimmick. Sometimes he didn't. But I've seen results for him in, in I want to say, the late 40s as John Bench. He and, and another one that was around forever was Jack Vansky. You guys remember him? Yes, sir. Jack Van. The yes, neck. <laughs> yeah. God, I hadn't heard that name. And good Lord. Yeah, I remember that was another that name. one that was around forever and ever and ever. How about Kenny Ackles? You guys remember him? That don't ring mm-hmm. a bell. With me. No, me neither. He was. Uh, he was big in New England, but he he came through the South. In the late '60s, but he uh, he got settled out in, in California and was started making movies out there and was was appearing on in plays and stuff. He did a lot of stuff like that. Let me, uh, Jerry, are you uh, on Facebook? Do you get anything from Scott Teal from his Crowbar Press archives? I do, I do. Did you see that card he posted a few minutes ago? Uh, I haven't been on there. Forty-six years ago today, 8.30 p.m. at the Oglethorpe Gym, the main event was the Georgia Heavyweight Championship, Assassin Number 2 Challenger versus Roberto Soto. Second main event was the Georgia Tag Team Championship, Buddy Roberts and Jerry Brown against Dick Steinborn and Argentina Apollo. Third main event was Ox Baker versus El Mongo. The preliminary matches were Skandor Akbar versus Tommy Siegler, Bill Bowman versus Jerry Oates, Rock Hunter versus Jesse James, and the opener was Joe Turner against the champ. No kidding. 46 years ago today. What? 1972, <laughs> December 8th. Or I guess. Uh, you know, and it's to me that I'm, I'm sitting here, I looked at this when he posted it. It just, I mean, memories, it's like it was yesterday to me. I mean, I don't remember what happened on the card or who was there or what, but just, you know, those days were just, I was having so much fun back then. So, uh, let me tell you, I, I, I have so many great memories. I mean, it's, at least I got memories, you know. Yep. Yeah. Just, I, I cherish all of it. You know, and, I, and and it, it, it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's hard for people to understand, but in 1972, 73, 74, even when I was just 
putting the TV ring up in 70, 71 and ushering and stuff. I was having so much fun. I mean, it was fun to go to work, you know. You, you, every, you know, everybody act like they enjoyed being there. It wasn't, a, you know, I mean, even though it was a job, people didn't treat it as such most of the time. I never thought it was a job. I really didn't. I was I, living I really the didn't. dream, man. <laughs> I, that's what I was doing. I, I was having a blast. You know, I got to, you know, meet so many pe- great people and go so many different places. I, I would have never gotten to have gone. And, I, I mean, I just. You know, it was just, it, like you said, you just it was like a dream you were living. Yep. But, but it wasn't for everybody. I, I mean, I understand that. My dad never did understand it. He kind of didn't either. Yeah, we came home. We came home from, I think, you know, I think we were in Kansas City, and we flew home for Christmas. We got there. We was only there like a couple of days, and we had to go back to Kansas City Christmas night. He got me off to the side. He said, I don't know why you and your brother want, he called it. He said, I don't know why y'all want to traipse around the country like that. <laughs> he couldn't figure that out to save his life. I mean, he, you know, he thought he was supposed to, you know, go in business. He was always in business for himself. Go in business and stay right there. And But that's not what I wanted to do, you know. But, you know. My dad's biggest fear was, I was going to get killed in a car wreck because I was traveling so much. Well, I look back at that, and I'm surprised more guys didn't get killed. Yeah, and you know, and you oh. know, ironic as it is, my dad was killed by a drunk driver ten minutes from his office. You're kidding me. Nah, my dad That's... was a my dad was a sewing machine repairman, and back in the days, back in those days, they they still went out to your home and worked on your sewing machine. Of course, now they're all computerized. You just put a put a cog in it, and it'll do whatever you want. But back then, he would have to go out and repair them and do the things. He had made a service call to Decatur, Georgia, and he was on the way back to the shop. And a guy came out of a bar, and he was so drunk. When he turned onto the main road, he did not get to the right side of the road, and he hit my dad head on. Uh, boy, what a horrible you know, I just, way to go. Horrible that, way to leave it. You know, yeah, I just, but that, that was, I've always remembered that. He was, that was his biggest fear. He had always told me, he'd say, son, please be careful. You know. You you had to be. Yeah. I only took him to the matches with me one time. Now, to set the story up, years ago, when I was just a kid, one of the sponsors for Live Atlanta Wrestling was Columbia Sewing Machine Company, and my dad would take a machine up for Ed Gapple to do live commercials during the show. So he had a little connection with it. Well, I only took him to the matches with me one time. I took him to Rome, Georgia. He had a brother up there, and I took him up, and we met his brother for lunch and spent some time with family. And went over that afternoon. We worked an afternoon show there in Rome. And uh, he was sitting out in the crowd, and as luck would have it, in the very first match they shot an angle between Soto and Spears. And I got knocked on my butt by Spears. And I'm laying there selling, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, my dad. And I raised up and looked at him. My dad was standing up and taking his coat off. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so I had to catch Spears and tell him to look, don't you dare, you know. And I had to, I walked back fussing at Spears, and I got to my dad and told him I'm okay, so down. But, yeah, it's the only time I ever took him. But uh, as you said, yeah. I have that memory. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 
Oh, you're speaking about what your dad did for a living. Have y'all ever seen this day and time a TV repair shop? Oh, Lord, no. I think it's, it's cheaper to throw them away than it is to get them repaired. Yeah, you just, you just, yeah, I don't even know if anybody works on TVs anymore. I don't either. When my dad retired I, from uh, retired from the army, he retired on uh, a disability. And he got uh, a GI Bill to go go back to school. So he went to trade school and learned how to do TV and radio repair. He was going, oh, you know, going to business for himself. He built a, a shop out in our backyard, you know, a repair shop so he could work in. And he did it for about six months. But uh, the only customers he could get were people in the family and friends that wanted him to do it for free. So he, he finally said, to hell with that, went to work in the shipyard for another 21 years. <laughs> after retiring from the military after 21 years. Now, Mike, yeah, Mike, Mike may not even remember this, but Jerry, you are. Do you remember when you were a kid and, and the TV would quit playing, you could take a tube out of the back of it and go to the local convenience store, mm-hmm. and they would yep. have a little machine in there. You could put the tube in and <laughs> test it. And they sold the tubes, and, you know, they'd open it up and had little tubes in there. Boy, that's really going back. That's going back. It's it's uh. Uh, I don't know if it's changed for the good or not. I don't know. You just have to go with it, whatever it is. Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even make that have a color TV of my own until 1981. So my parents didn't have one until '74, and then it got stolen. <laughs> 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 The first microwave I ever saw was in 1969 in Orlando, Florida. Milo had one. He paid like $1,600 for it. And it was the size of a refrigerator, wasn't it? It was big. They were heavy. So Dickie and I went by his dad's house, and he said, Y'all come in here. I will show you something. He put this apple in there. And it, I mean, he wasn't in there no time. He took it out and it was cooked all the way through. I was in awe. I never. Now you can buy a microwave for sixty nine dollars. Yeah. My father, when he went to work for the shipyard, he went to work for a shipyard, an English shipyard in Pascagoula, which was owned by Litton. And so Litton put out the first microwaves sell to the public. So the people that worked there at the shipyard got. Uh, Got an opportunity to buy them. He bought one in, in 1971. You could, we didn't have counter space for it. It was so big. And the first dishwasher we had, but long before they ever put it, had built-in dishwashers in, in kitchens. In the first house we lived in in Mobile, the dishwasher we had, my mother kept it in the pantry, and she'd roll it out and couple it up to the uh, to the uh, kitchen sink and run the dish <laughs> run the dishwasher. Huh. It's amazing. It's, it's just amazing. Barnett told me one time, he said, uh, he, it was a Monday we were there, just me and him doing payroll, and he said, Mr. Bobby, what would you think about the TV show Saturday night? And I said, well, I didn't see it. And he just, he come out of his office. He said, what do you mean you didn't see it? He said, that's our livelihood. He said, you should be watching that every week to see if, you know, make sure everything airs properly, blah, 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 blah. He said, I try to, but I have meetings. And, you know, I said, 
And I told Jim, I said, Jim, look, I said, I have a life too. I said, sometimes I have things going on with my family. And he says, you need a video recorder where you can record it and you can watch it. And I said, well, you know, they're kind of, this is when they first came out. And I said, well, they're pricey. He said, tell you what, you go get one. He said, the company will pay for half of it. He said, you got to have one. It's a business thing. I remember the first VCR I bought, and I can even remember the model. It was a VBT-200 from RCA. That thing was $1,000. It would record up. You could set it for 24 hours ahead, but you had to put it on whatever channel you wanted it to record on. It had it had knobs mm-hmm. on the front. It wasn't even digital. And and I bought that thing. And, and videotapes, when you bought them, they were like $30 a piece. Now they're obsolete. <laughs> but I remember bringing that thing. It was heavy <laughs> as a boat anchor. And I brought that thing home, and, I mean, it, I, I really enjoyed having it, but... I mean, I really didn't want it, yeah, but you know. But I'd record First the one show. I ever had was a top loader. It loaded on this the, one the was. top. Yeah. yeah. And it had a remote to it, but the remote had a cord, a thirty-foot cord with it. <laughs> <laughs> First VCR I ever saw, and I don't remember if it was VHS or Beta, but it was uh, Ted Allen had it. We used to stop yeah. whenever we'd go to, to uh, Chattanooga. We'd stop at his house in Cartersville, and he had tapes from every territory in the country. It's the first time I'd ever seen a videotape. Well, you know, I, I researched a little bit before I bought my first one, and everything I read and everything I could find out about it, they, you know, VHS was going to be the way to go. Naturally, when I bought a VHS, everything Barnett owned was beta. He had a machine in three or four rooms of his house, and they were all beta because he he read somewhere that beta had a better quality picture. But it didn't take but about a year or two that he realized he had made a mistake, but he would never own up to it. He just kept buying beta products. But, yeah, they were – those things were so expensive, and now – you know, if you even can find a VHS player, they're twenty nine ninety five. How cold is it yeah. in Kansas City tonight? I don't know. I got the TV on here, buddy, and it looks a little chilly to me. I heard it's going to be in single digits. I, I, I got up this morning, and they showed on Good Morning America, they showed Interstate 94 in uh, North Dakota, and they had it shut down for 300 miles because of a whiteout. And I showed a picture of it. You could not see where the road was. They showed somebody's house, and I don't know who it was, but they showed a picture where the guy had opened his front door, and it looked like an optical illusion. It looked like you were looking at the door on the left, and you were. it looked like the door was still closed. And what you were looking at in the opening where he opened the door was snow, and it was higher than the door. And it had piled up against the door and made an impression of the door in the snow. They said people were dealing with eight and nine foot snow drifts in North Dakota. Well, I know when I lived out there in Kansas City, I know there's a lot of colder places, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, you go up in the aisle and all, man, good grief, I'm telling you. And, and, you know, people don't, you can't make people understand unless you've been out there, the wind never stops blowing. And I know Kathy took me to the airport one Sunday, and it was kind of, you could see some blue sky and all. And I was going, I was going to go up into somewhere in Iowa. 
she dropped me off at the airport. And before she got back on the interstate, it was snow white. She was a nervous wreck trying to get back home. That quick. I mean, it changed. You just wait. That old story, you just wait an hour or 20 minutes out there. Like you said, that wind blows that stuff in out there. Good grief. Mm. But well, they prepare. We I mean, they're pretty well there. prepared for it out there, though. They kind of. The summers out there were horrible, but the winters were. I'm talking about business wise, were better in the winter than the summer. Yeah. That's, that sounds crazy, but that's the way it was. Can you, you imagine know, the you guys know, we, that had to travel in that mess to make it out? You know, the only time we ever canceled a show, you know, the thing got us around here was ice. Ice, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. That's, they'd canceled in a heartbeat if you had an ice storm. But other than that, we pretty well fought through whatever. But that, that those trips out there, like going to St. Louis, and it'd be snow all the way there, all the way back. Those 18-wheelers would pass us like we were tied. Mm. I mean, just snow, I guess. I told you Al Hayes told me a story. I think I've told this. He said he was going to – he had to leave early on Sunday to go to St. Louis TV. So he said Al didn't drive fast anyhow, and he said it was snowing and you couldn't – I mean, you had to be careful. And he said, I looked in my rearview mirror and I see this white <laughs> vapor coming. And it was Harley in the left-hand lane. So he said he got up the road about five miles, and Harley was off out in some field somewhere. (laughs) 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 I know we were going to Quincy, Illinois one night, and it was snowing and ice. They call it that black ice. You know, you can't see it, you know. Yeah. Ken Ramey and the, and the uh, interns passed us like we were tied. We never saw them again. So we get to get to Quincy, and the referee come in. He said, "Hey, man!" He said, "The interns were late getting here." And uh, Jim Starr had a big bandage around his head. They run off. They hit that black ice, and they went off out in the fields. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> You you can't take that hey. stuff for granted, man. No, sir. No. You talking about eighteen wheelers? And no, I've driven in snow and ice here in Atlanta, but you know, the very few times that it snowed here. But uh, the worst I ever did, and I, and I swore if I ever survived that night, I would never attempt it again. I flew into um um. I'm trying to think where the company I worked for at the time where our head in it was in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, I had a friend of mine at the time who lived in Columbus, Ohio. So we decided I I called him when I was up there and, and we decided Cincinnati was was mid the midway point for both of us. So we were going to meet in Cincinnati and have dinner that night. Well, it was snowing. And they had given me while I was up in in uh Lexington, they had given me this little small Chevy Love pickup truck to drive around, and those things weighed about 14 pounds. 
So um, I'm going through, and I'm okay until I get into Cincinnati, and the interstate going through Cincinnati is uh, happens to be there happens to be a double decker bridge on there. Well, I'm going across that bridge, and I got this 18 wheeler on my tail trying to get me to speed up, but I'm doing about 28 miles an hour. I said, I'm sorry, buddy, you're just going to have to either go around me, swim, or do something, because I'm not speeding up. I got back to Lexington that, the next morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said, that's it. I will never <laughs> go to Ohio again driving in the winter if I live through this. It's, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. I can't imagine those guys working up there for stew. I heard no, John I John Walker told me stories about working up there. He said they would lose the road up there because, you know, it'd be so much snow. He said they'd hit snow banks, and he said they would just speed up and drive right through them. Well, I, I see him doing that. Yeah, me too. And, I, you know, I I just, you know, my luck, I'd I'd run through one, and there'd be a concrete building in the middle of it or something. Either that or a car got stuck from trying to do the same thing. Or a moose or something, yeah. Well, I'll say one thing for Johnny Walker. I didn't ride with many guys. I told you I rode with Garvin one time. and I, uh-huh. I made a promise with, with God himself. I said, you get me out of this car alive, I'll never get in another car with him. Uh-huh. But I, I rode several, uh, when I was, had gone, you know, got off the road full time, I was uh, watched one of me to come out there. I went out there for like several months. On, I'd go out there like Wednesday and come back home Monday morning, and uh, I would stay with Johnny, and I rode with him. Now, that man, he drove a car. Remember that that navy blue and white uh, Oldsmobile he had, Bobby? The one that had the Tiger or the Panther seat covers? Yeah. Yes. That man drove a car. But I mm-hmm. felt safe with him. I mean, he wasn't reckless. He was just, he just fast. He just, yeah, he was fast. He 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 was very, he drove very fast, but I I felt comfortable with him. He took he took the bright you know that that Oldsmobile eighty eight he had that blue one, you know it had it was it had four headlights on the front of it. It had the two low exactly. beam and then it had two high beam. He took them high beam lights out and put aircraft landing lights in there. I did could, on my bright lights. He could light the night up. I did that. You get somebody won't. Dim their lights. You hit those. I put them where my bright lights were. Mm-hmm. I, I did that when I was in Kansas City. Of course, I never got caught with them. That's what they were, aircraft landing lights. I made, I probably made thousands of miles with him because I'm like you. I was careful who I travel with. And, uh, me, you know, he, he would ride with me. I'd ride with him. But he never scared me. I guess the last trip I ever made with him I had to go to Chattanooga on a Saturday. Somebody got sick or something, and I had to go referee. And I called him, and he said, yeah, I'm by myself. And I met him, and I rode with him to Chattanooga. And he had traded out. He had went there. He had, he had a Volkswagen Rabbit. Yes, he did. A diesel. A diesel. He scared me to death. He had that thing. I don't believe we hit the ground except on the high spots. I remember it's the his, only I remember time I was ever scared, but buddy, we was running a hundred mile an hour in that little car. You know, on that Oldsmobile, he had like four hundred thousand miles on it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He had it in Louisiana when I was going back out there then. 
when uh-huh. he went to Louisiana. Do you remember the the deal? We were in. Uh, that's when I was going back and forth out there, and uh, he got a call from his wife, and that's when they did that deal in Atlanta. She said they got somebody here in here, Mister Wrestling Number Two. Mm-hmm. That man, I'm telling you, you know, Johnny, he he could get mad now. I don't know if oh, he's yeah. ever around. That man about lost his mind. He got on the phone right then to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how that wound up. I think they brought him in there or something. Oh, no, well, I can tell you how it wound up. He about beat him to death, I think. That's they brought him about. in. Did the deal on Atlanta TV where the where the the guy Joe Powell was his name. He's he's not with us anymore. But Joe Powell looked. He walked like him. He talked like him. He looked like him. And he if did. you pass if you pass both of them in the hallway, you couldn't tell them apart. And Who's he the could, and then, Bobby? Uh Oli, I think. I know yeah, it was Oli. And he 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 had John you know, John wore them uh you know, he had them sport coats that was probably from the early sixties. It had the you know, he wore it it had the plaids and the checks on it. Yeah. And and he wore that he he walked out of the control room with his mask on and he had the tie on and that jacket and he just stood there and watched this guy, the guy in the ring never acknowledged him. And uh, Joe hit some guy with a knee lift and pinned him one, two, three and they raised his hand and when he did, that's when he made eye contact with, and they just stared at each other. That's all they did. And the guy got out of the ring and left. Two went over and did an interview. They set this up for about three weeks, and we went into an Omni show. And I, we were only set him down. He, or he set John down. He said, look, John. He said, this was my plan the whole time. She said, we can make a ton of money with this. He said, we can make a ton of money with this, but you got to work with this guy. And that lasted just long enough for John to get in the ring. And he liked to beat Joe Powell to death. Uh, that's what I heard. But I was hit him with a knee lift, and, and Buddy pinned him right in the middle of the ring, snatched the hood off of him, and it was over. Yeah, that man was—he was upset, and I don't blame him. No, he was. Uh, that wasn't the plan. I guarantee you. Well, the plan was to bring John back, but he should have. You know, if you're going to do something like that, and the guy's built built up that kind of reputation and that kind of that kind of uh, credibility. You don't do that without talking to him. I wouldn't think. And the money he drew there, I mean. Oh, you know yeah. I mean, good Lord. I mean, there but was a man, time all you did was put his name on a poster and you were going to draw a crowd. And I rode with him that very night somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I bet that was a pleasant trip. Ooh, that, that, it took him a while to get over that. Then he, like I told you, he got straight on the phone to Atlanta. But that wasn't a drawn-out deal either, was it? No, sir. No, sir. They set the deal up, went into the Omni show, and that was it. <laughs> it was over that night. Now, now, Powell did come along one more time after that. He came on TV with the hood on for the yeah. next uh, TV taping, and he apologized for doing that. He said he'd always wanted to be a wrestler and, you know, and all this stuff. And, and then, that, of course, Ole trying to save the angle – uh, Powell claimed that, that Bill Eady, the superstar, had put him up to it and paid him to, to imitate to and all that stuff. But So then they had Eady come out there and jump on him, and, and 
unmask him and do all that stuff. And then, if I'm not mistaken, two came out and made the save, and Edie took his mask off, and that's the infamous angle where Tommy Weathers showed his wonderful physique, uh, taking oh, his geez. shirt off to cover up John's face. I don't remember what started that, but I remember telling Tommy Weathers, don't ever do that again. Scared, scared <laughs> kids at home. <laughs> I love him. He was a nice guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was. There he uh, yeah, as long as you stayed away from his wife. Uh, I didn't know nothing about his wife. Uh, he shot and killed a man. <laughs> he what? Yeah. He shot and killed a man. And I believe he killed his wife, too. I think he shot and killed both of them. <laughs> Caught them together at home when he was was he was he uh, was supposed to be on the road. He come back by mistake. I never heard that story. Yep. Huh. Yeah, he and uh, he was from up in Cleveland, where Ronnie West was from, Cleveland, Tennessee. Well, what happened to him after that? Nothing. Well, he didn't go to jail. They, they... No, he didn't go to jail. He continued to referee and, and worked for everybody. In fact, all that happened before he was in Georgia, before all that took place in Georgia. I think that happened sometime in the mid-'70s. He That's was working for uh, Fuller in Knoxville, yeah. Mike Jackson told me about it, and then when uh, I asked Ronnie West about it, and he confirmed it for me. Good grief. But other than that, he was not shy. <laughs> yeah. He called me when he got cancer. He called me. Or he sent word for me to call him, and I called up there to Cleveland where he was living up there. And I, <clears throat> he asked me, he goes, he says, he says, Bobby, he said, I need to try to get some money together. And he said, I need to know how much I need. I said, for what? He said, well, when I die, I want you to come up and speak over me. And I Did he really? He sure did. I told him, I said, man, you've lost your mind. I said, if you're asking me, will I do it? I said, if I outlive you, yes, I will. I said, how much you owe me? Nothing. I said, don't worry about that. I said, you don't owe me nothing. I said, don't charge people to do that. And uh, he said, no, you know, I mean, it just, but I was so honored that he would ask me. But, you know, that's, that was, he wanted to know how much it was going to cost. He was going to take care of it. Well, if there had been any of the other boys, I'm sure they got a price tag on it. I've, I've had to do way too many of those for the guys, and I just, uh, I'm very honored when I'm asked. But, man, they are well, so you, tough. You should be. You should be. They are so tough. The yeah. funnies, the funnies wouldn't bar any of those. Got to be Ronnie West. Yeah. That was the funniest thing. I mean, I, and I needed that so bad. If, if somebody, if you hadn't heard the deal, he he passed away in Virginia, so they had him cremated up there, and they got to get him home. So we go up, we waited, they waited, I don't know, a week, ten days, whatever it was, and we had a memorial service for him. And I went up there, and I'm talking to his, to his ex-wife, and I'm crying, and she's crying, and you know, and Rodney, his son, says, "I need to talk to you," and he calls me off to the side, and he goes, "You know, 
He said, uh, you know, when you guys were on the road and somebody would die in the family or a neighbor or something that we'd call y'all, he said, y'all always had the same story. Sorry, we can't get home. We're on the road. And he just shut up. He didn't say nothing else. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, why is he telling me this? And it was like a light bulb went on in my head. I says, are you telling me that little box up there in front of that, that pulpit up there is empty? He goes, yeah. He said, FedEx has lost Dad. We're not sure where he's at. He missed his own funeral. <laughs> he, he got the last rib on all of us. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, if he could have set it up, he would have set it up. But I uh, just, yeah, he missed his own funeral. In that something? I thought that was good. That was very good. <laughs> At least you picked up on it. Oh, listen. I mean, I don't know why I did, but it was it was just like I'm telling you, it was like a light went on. I thought this is just too good. Oh. Well, we are uh, 45 minutes into the show. I guess we need to get around to the subject we were going to talk about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know we had a subject. <laughs> yeah. We- well, uh, I just wanted to take a look at uh, we we all as fans and and after we got in the business and we made the the regular stops in the, in the territories we we got to at least recognize if we didn't get to know them certain fans that were there every week and uh, Bobby and I were talking at breakfast yesterday and I thought you know that that'd be an interesting subject to talk about that the, the various fans that came week after week after week. Guys, I got to take this call. I hope I can come right back. All right. All right. Well, I, you know, I told you this story yesterday, Mike, which was a uh, kind of touched me. We were, there, there was a lady that came to Carrollton every week that we simply called Granny, and I'm sure there was a Granny in every city and every territory around the country. But this particular lady sat on the front row every week. She uh, dipped. Uh, a considerable amount of snuff, and, uh, you know, generally there was a little running down uh, the side of her mouth. But she would uh, she would get up and beat on the ring, take her hand and just pound on the ring, and she would raise cane at me as a referee, raise cane at the heel. Uh, she could, she wasn't, uh, a lot of things she couldn't say. She she always referred to Skandor Akbar as the old acting bar. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, Rocket Monroe would... Uh, would always tell her, I'm going to come out there and kiss you right in the mouth, and she'd just fuss and raise Kane. But she was there every week, every week. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you, I remember her very well. So we, a few years ago, here recently, within the last five, six years, uh, well, I guess it's longer than that. Ted's been gone five years, maybe ten years, eight years or something. A gentleman named Rock Parsons ran, ran some shows over in Carrollton, Georgia, and he recorded them for uh, future DVDs or TVs or whatever. And he, uh, Ted hooked me up with a guy, and I went over and did some uh, did some uh, play-by-play and uh, ring announcing different things for him. And a uh, uh, guy walked up to me over there one night, and he, he just he said, you don't know me. He said, but I want to I wanna thank you. And I said, well, okay, what for? And he, he explained to me that, that Granny in Carrollton was his actual grandmother. And he said, you don't know how much joy you guys brought to her life because she just lived for going over there on Saturday nights and fussing with you and these guys. And she said she loved it. She said she didn't hate none of y'all. She just had a good time, 
and she loved doing it. And she, he said, I just want to thank you for making her so happy. And, I mean, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, I'll cry at a commercial on TV, so I kind of teared up a little. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, this is, that's, that's why we, you know, not only do we do it for a paycheck, but that's why we did what we did. We entertained people. And uh, uh, as Terry Funk says, we suspended reality for just a few minutes. And uh, uh, those that believed what we did, we uh, we uh, we had a lot of fun, and we we pleased them too. So you know, yeah, there's there's fans everywhere that that were like that. Yeah, we had. I don't I don't know if you have <clears throat> you weren't in, didn't do enough shots in Mobile to remember that we had two regulars in Mobile that I can remember. Um. One of them was there. I know Kelly told me he started coming back in the 60s. He was there every week, had the same uh, seat every week. And uh, if if anybody's ever seen the uh, what little bit of video there is of the Mobile Territory, those 76 tapings that they taped in Expo Hall, he's on. he's all over those if you look close enough out in the crowd, but I never knew his real name. I, we all, everybody called him Snuffy because he, he, you know, chewed snuff and he, he wore the same clothes every week. Uh, he had uh, he wore a fedora hat, uh, short sleeve white button-up shirt, dress shirt, regardless of whether it was a dead or winter or whatever, that's what he wore, a pair of gray pants with, with red over, uh, suspenders and brogan shoes. And... <laughs> And he would uh, he would do the same thing. He'd yell and, and fuss at the, at the heels and everything. And he, he carried uh, carried a snuff can, you know, the old uh, three inch uh, silver ones. You know what I'm talking about, the uh-huh. old fashioned one. Yeah. He carried those and he'd he'd offer his snuff to to, to the heels. But uh, I remember him, and then I remember another guy. He was an older black gentleman. Uh, didn't have a tooth in his head and stuttered real bad. And the more, more, the angrier he got at the heels, the more he stuttered. Yeah. And all he could get to come out when he would fuss at somebody was ma 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 ma. He could never get any further than that. And so we called him Mama Ma. That's all I knew him as. And he was especially he hated Curtis Smith more than anything in this world. And every time. Smitty would do his gimmick where he had the loaded boot and he'd tap his boot. That guy'd nearly break his leg trying to tap and show the referee. He'd go <laughs> all the way around the ring tapping his foot like. It. And uh, another one he hated was Eddie Sullivan. Eddie used to, uh, he could get more heat from the crowd just by pretending he had something in his trunks. And he'd he'd reach in his trunks like he was going to pull something out of his trunks, and old Mama Ma would stand up and reach down to his into his his britches all the way to his knees, trying to get the referee's attention, telling him he had something in his his uh, his trunks. But I used to get a kick out of watching the crowd as much as I did anything else when I was a fan. Of course, I had to watch them when I was in the ring because I usually worked heel, so I never knew what they were going to do out there. Oh yeah, you know. I'm back, guys. I'm gonna have to go again, but I'm back. <clears throat> Would you win the lottery? No, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the fans. I don't know what all y'all said while I was gone, but yeah, the fans. You know, there were some great ones. Without them, we wouldn't have made a dime. Now you work St. Louis quite a bit. Did, did, wasn't yeah. there the, the 
the twin the sisters up there, Murdy and Gertie. What were their names? Murdy and Gertie were in Kansas City. Yeah, okay. I got pictures with them. They were like oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Murdy and Gertie, they were identical. When we were there, they were. Well, they were in the 80s. They knew more finishes than the Bookers did. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, they, they had been there for, I mean, they, they they were legends, I'm telling you. Hmm. Bobby, you remember the, the, the y'all might have talked about this, maybe you didn't. Remembering Kelton, the real skinny guy that had the big wife? Yes. She would raise her some kind of saying. And then, yep. then the, 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 what was the, late, the old lady's name there, elderly lady? They would get the up. one we call Granny. Granny. I don't tell them about Granny. that. Oh, good Lord. And Miss Young and Macon. Yep. Was that the elderly lady that had the young grandson that come with her all the time? Uh, I don't know. She, she, I, I never knew who was with her. You're probably right. She used to blow that whistle. Yes. Oh, yeah. good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, they uh, how much money do you or how much much in ticket dollars do you think Mary Bunch spent in Columbus, Georgia? Bobby, I have no <laughs> earthly idea. She sat on that front row seats. as long as she lived, and he ran shows. She was there every Wednesday night on that front row, and when Dicky ran, night. she was there every Monday night on the front row at Dicky shows. And, and, and you know, you couldn't help but love her, you know. Oh yeah. When me yeah, and my I first wife were married, she she uh, she gave us our reception. She, uh, you know, not not only her, but there were so many in, 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 in so many different towns. I mean, they were they were part of what we did. Yes, they were. Absolutely, they were part of what we did. It was it was it was, and then all that's gone. You know, it was just we brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. You know. Yes, we did. Yes, I we did. We did. I, I, I believe we did, or they wouldn't have come. And you know, we and Bobby, you know, it's funny. We named them too. We didn't know their all, names, but we named them. And everybody but, knew who you were talking about. Like there were two on the front row in Atlanta. There was, uh, they were, they were two of Charlie Smith's girlfriends, and they were, they were two sisters. I think they were sisters, and the two of them together didn't weigh fifty-five pounds. And and we called them Heckle and Jekyll. <laughs> One of the fun, there I was, was a guy. And I, I, here's another one. I don't know his name. He sat on the front row in Atlanta, and he would just raise Kane at the heels. He'd get up. He he never would get close, but he'd get up and point that finger, and he'd raise Kane. Well, he was real bad about getting on on the assassins. So Tom and Jody. And then this is a story Tom told me. The guy worked at a Texaco gas station somewhere. I don't know where. But Tom and Jody pulled in there to get some gas. And they were either had been to TV or were on the way to TV, so they had suits on. And they pulled in there. Well, now, Tom and Jody looked like, you know, you'd have thought Tom was a lawyer. Exactly. I mean, you know, and, and Jody was, you know, you couldn't, they, they looked like businessmen. And they pulled in there, and this guy come out there, and they recognized him. 
And Tom said, Tom said the following Friday night, he said they got in the ring in Atlanta, and he got up there and he was raising Kane. And he said he, Tom said he walked over to the ropes and he was standing there and he just staring at the guy. And the guy was raising Kane. He said he turned around and he motioned for Jody. When Jody walked over, he said, "That's him right there, the Texaco station on such and such street." He said that guy dried up to nothing and sat down in the chair <laughs> and didn't open his mouth the rest of the night. He probably quit coming. <laughs> Scared that guy to death. Didn't Tom pull a rib on somebody at a gas station with with some sort of uh, what was that heat stuff that, that he everybody used to use? He yeah. shot him or Jody won. They shot mustard oil on the seat of a guy's pants, and uh, when it finally got to his skin and started burning him, they said when they left, they said the guy had a one of those one of those tin tin or metal. Uh, Containers that you know it's half a little less than half the size of a tire that you would put a tire in to look for an air leak. They said the guy was sitting in it when they left. <laughs> you know, when I found out about muscle oil, I, I tried to find some of that. I never could find. It. Where do you find it? Where do I don't know. It? I couldn't find. I went to drug stores. I went to mustard seed things. oils. What I heard it was. I they had a guy what? in Atlanta. They said was using it. Uh, he would put it in a water gun, and they said he had it under his arm. And when the heels would come by after the matches, they'd be sweating and their pores was open. So that guy would hit them with it, and he said you couldn't feel it. You know, people touching you, whatever. You didn't really know somebody hit you with it. And they said it was causing guys to have blisters. I went to feed and seed stores everywhere trying to find it. I never could find it. I, I went. But I don't know what you're talking about. But that's I what I always heard you call. Huh? What were you gonna do with it? Uh, <laughs> same thing everybody else did with it. Experimentation. We're gonna try some. Yeah, that, 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 that's what <laughs> Oh, you have, oh good lord. But I never all of mustard. I, 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 I was telling Bobby about you, the times you were in Mobile, do you remember a guy that sat on the front row in Mobile named, they called him Snuffy? I do not remember that. <clears throat> he was a regular there. They had a regular down there in Quincy, Florida. You probably heard about him, Mike. That Ken Lucas. He was a good guy. I mean, he, he wore overalls. He's a big, heavy set. He's kind of a young fella. I mean, he he has some mental mental issues, but that Lucas, I'm telling you, you know how Lucas was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. He's without a doubt the biggest river I've ever been around, Lucas. <laughs> and you'd never know it. I mean, if you just meet, he's so quiet. Oh, yeah, so he's just, he <laughs> I'm sure All that quiet hit a, a very devious mind. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, but uh, I, I guess every town we ran, not just here in Georgia, but you know, of course, every town back then was a weekly situation. They, they all had them, you know, just those loyal fans. That, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I uh, Junior Samples used to come to the matches when we'd run come in Georgia. You know, I never saw him there. Oh, God. Charlie Smith ran that thing one time and asked me to come up there and work for him, and I went up there under a mask and uh, worked with Ted Allen. And he had to – somebody didn't show up, so he was going to bring Ted back in the main event. So he asked me and Ted, he said, can you all give me about 20 minutes? And he said, you know, let Ted go over. I said, yeah. So we went out there, and we was just goofing off. And, you know, Ted was a night off. You could do anything you wanted to. And and uh, somehow – Smitty was refereeing, and somehow I got him tickled. And uh, he was up in my face, and he was laughing and trying not to let people know he was laughing. And I looked, I looked down at Junior Samples, and I said, look, sir, you're trying to be funny up here, Mr. Referee. I said, there's 10,000 comedians out of work just like that man right down there, and you're trying to be funny. And when I did, that sucker stood up and run his hand in his pocket, and I told Smitty, I said, don't you let him in here on me. <laughs> I don't know what he was <laughs> reaching for, but I didn't want to find out. Because, you know, that act on, on Hee Haw, that wasn't no act. That's what I heard. Yeah, what you see is what you got. He probably had a Barlow in there. I figure he did. I didn't want to find out. But, yeah, he was. And it was, you know, speaking of fans, it was funny. You know, there was always them closet fans, too. You know, they didn't want to let nobody know that they liked what we liked. You know, they didn't want to, they would, they didn't want to let people know they liked wrestling because it felt like people would make fun of them or be beneath them. But, you know. Those private boxes in the Omni, they don't tell who you'd see up in there when you'd walk up through there. Oh, I know. I know. One of the most respected news people in Atlanta back in the 70s was a guy named Hal Suit. He worked for WSB-TV. He had been there for years. And uh, his 90-year-old father, now Mr. Suit was probably in his 60s or could have been close to 70, but his dad was 90 years old. And I'll never forget, we got him some seats like on the second row, and people were just mesmerized that someone of Mr. Suit's statue, a news person, would be seen at the wrestling matches, but he brought his 90-year-old dad because his dad loved it. Isn't that something? I loved it. I think one of the best stories, I remember one of the times Dickie was on with us, he was telling a story about he took a picture in the fifties or the sixties in Atlanta, and, and of a of a a man and his kid, and then later on, the kid after the kid was grown, he was still coming to the matches, and Dickie took a picture of him as a grown man and wanted to run it in the uh, program, and the guy told him, "You can't do that because that woman I'm with is not my wife." <laughs> <laughs> wants to uh it let me know he was going to call in he he had a, there was a particular fan in, in montgomery he wanted to tell us about so let me get dennis on the line with us hey guys Hello, montgomery alabama tonight? can you hear us over there pretty good guys how y'all doing tonight it's a good show doing y'all good dennis. Show how y'all you doing? doing great guys i tell you it's a great show tonight one fan I remember here in Montgomery, Alabama, I don't know if Jerry remember her or not, a lady named Gladys Hines. We, her nick, Everybody called her Spider. 
She was like a granny, uh, too. She chewed snuff. She used to bake. Her story, she used to bake pecan pies for the wrestlers and all. Y'all, she's the one who got me started dipping snuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember that name. I remember that name from there. Yeah, yeah she, was, she was something else. She was probably the number one wrestling fan in Montgomery, Alabama. You know, when I went to matches in the 80s and, and all that, I don't, even during the small independence programs they ran in Montgomery and Wetumpka in the 90s, too. She went to there. She died a few years ago, and she was a great wrestling fan and all that. I was going to ask both all y'all, especially Michael and Bobby and Jerry tonight, uh, who was the number one wrestling fan in Columbus and the number one fan in Dothan? Mary Bunch in Columbus. Mary Bunch, yeah, in Columbus. Yeah, what was Dothan. she like? Go ahead, guys. Mary was not a Mary was not one of those uh she was not one not of those loud. crazy beat on the ring, run around. Mary was very reserved. She just sat there, she just watched the matches. But she was just always there. She was there she yeah. was there on Wednesday night, she was there on Saturdays at the T V and she was uh when when all South came into being back in the early seventies, she was there on Monday nights as well. She she never missed a match. But she wasn't yeah. pesky fan. She wasn't a pesky no. fan. By no stress. Yeah. She was just loyal. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the word. Yeah, she was. She, like Bobby said, rain or shine, she was there. Well, you, know, you, to, you know, we can throw another. We can throw another loyal fan in there. Uh, uh, Jimmy Carter's mom, Miss Lillian. Yep. She, yeah. She was there every Wednesday night. Man, that's amazing. Hey, Michael, I want to ask. Hey, Michael, also too. Uh, other than Mobile and Dothan, and all, what were some other fans you remember greatly? Well, Dothan, I, I never knew the guy's name, and if Greg Brown were on with us, he he might know the guy's name. But there was a guy, uh, Rocky McGuire, who was the uh, booker and, and mainly ran that in for for Lee Fields. Um, his office guy, little guy that worked in the office with him, that put the ads together and and answered the phones and uh, you know took ticket reservations was a guy by the name of Shorty Turner. And Shorty also on uh, on Friday nights he was the timekeeper, rang the bell. Uh-huh. Well, there was a guy that never failed every Friday night, and even when Fuller took over and they switched to Saturday nights, he was there. I mean, it didn't get one minute to eight o'clock that this guy didn't stand up and yell at the top of his lungs, "Ring the bell, Shorty!" And he did that for twenty years. <laughs> but I never knew his name. What's that? Greg yeah, Brown Greg, knows Greg. that guy well. <laughs> yeah. Bring that bill, Yeah. And also, too, guys, I was watching a DVD shoe interview that Steve Carino. I'm sure y'all are familiar with Steve Carino. He did an interview with Tommy Wildfire Rich, you know, which I got at my house. And there's a story when Bob Armstrong was in the locker room in Columbus, Georgia. And I'll paraphrase what Tommy Rich said. Junior Samples was in the locker room or something. And he got Bob Armstrong upset. He par- I'll paraphrase what he said. Something like, told Bob Armstrong, you're too damn old to wrestle. And when and Bob Armstrong, the story is Bob Armstrong took his hand away from Junior Samples, and Bob was red-faced. I was wondering if Bobby's ever heard that. That's a new one on me. Never heard that one. Not in Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> no, might have been Cummins, but it wouldn't have been Columbus. 
Well, well, I so when Junior Samples was still alive, Bob was still a fairly young man. Yeah. I know. So. I, know. I know. That's what Tommy Rich told Steve Carino in that interview, you know, and and all that. And there's other story about Tommy Rich. Y'all might, y'all probably won't, aren't so surprised to hear. He was a big Hank Williams Jr. fan. Yeah. And it, Tommy Rich said he at that old Columbus auditorium, he got kicked out of a Hank Williams Jr. concert because Tommy was too drunk or something, and and they kicked him out of Hank Williams Jr. concert, which is, uh, I, I guess, kind of ironic. I was there the night that happened. Really? Yeah, he was he was wasted. Tommy was wasted out of his mind. And the deal really? was, Tommy was trying to Tommy was trying to get on the stage, <laughs> and security, you know, it just. It wasn't well, I guess good, he uh, saw he saw Dusty get on the stage with Willie Nelson. He figured he'd do his part. Yeah. <clears throat> I tell you, you talking about Bob Armstrong. I tell you a story that that Bob told on here when when he was on our show with us that uh, that I know for a fact happened when he did his heel turn in, in uh, Southeastern. He had made up this character that supposedly he'd left his wife and kids and he was living with this wealthy woman named Fannie Mae Titwaller. And uh, that's all. Every interview he t- he did, he was talking about you know, Fannie Mae bought him a diamond watch and bought him a diamond ring, and she was gonna buy him a brand new car. He did that every interview he did, and uh, so one night he was in Mobile, and he was in the ring and he was working with somebody, and this woman was out in the audience, and she was a well dressed woman, you know, middle aged, you know, well to well to do looking, and. Uh, she was rooting for Bob. Well, the fans just took it upon themselves and decided that that was Fannie Mae Tutwiler. <laughs> and they, sur- they they surrounded this woman. We're going to yank her ball-headed, as the old saying goes. And Bob happened to notice it. He stopped the match, got the, the uh, microphone from, from the ringside, and made the announcement that Fannie Mae was not in the building that night. <laughs> that was the only way could get nice. him to, those people from leave that woman alone. That's amazing about that's amazing about how things like that works out, you know. And and I know when y'all had Bob Armstrong a while back about Fannie Mae Titwiler, how did Bob come up with that name? Was it something out of the blue? I have no clue. That's interesting. Who knows? You know, I know I don't. I never picture. I know. Of course, I know some wrestlers like to drink, and all. I, I know Bob's a smoker. I never. Picture Bob being much of a drinker, really. You know, like some others and and all that. Bobby probably knows that more than me and and all that. I just wonder how he came up with a name like that, man. I tell you, that's. I don't think Vince McMahon would have enough guts to do that. You know, <laughs> Bob. You know, well, Dusty Rhodes come up with Ruby Begonia. That's where he got his hat from. Really, man. That's in. He got that from Flip Wilson, though. Uh-oh. That was an old Flip yeah, Wilson. That's... Flip Wilson was talking about uh, Ruby Begonia was a lady at the church that uh, that rang the church bell every Sunday morning. And, and uh said when he first moved to this particular town, um, he kept he kept hearing about Ruby Begonia. So he finally asked somebody, well, what, what is this about Ruby Begonia? Does that name ring a bell to you? <laughs> <laughs> But that's Man. where Dusty got Man, that from. Really, that's that's 
that's very interesting about but that. But the thing is that, 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 you know, just something that simple that Bob did, not, you know, just as a, as a throwaway line, got that much attention and sold that much that they were probably going to get some poor innocent woman beat up in Mobile. <laughs> That's well, if any, if that woman was a mobile, like you were saying about Michael, I feel sorry for that woman. I bet she was, she probably never went to any matches again after that. Probably not. Out. And if she did, she didn't cheer for, for Bob Armstrong anymore. That's, that's pretty interesting about that. I was going to ask y'all guys, what's the story behind Jerry Lawler not being with the WWE? What's the scoop behind that? I didn't know he wasn't. I thought, I know he got, uh, he got in some trouble over some domestic dispute that that ended up no, being, that all got put behind know, him. They, they yeah, all got put behind him. I know they something. took him off the air, but I thought they were letting him at least do pay per views. I don't, I don't know. There's there was no a thing in the press too. release that said that they had pulled him, and uh, there was another one they pulled him off the air altogether. Yeah, I saw so, that. I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah, they may have pulled him off air, but if he's still got a contract, he's still getting a check. Yeah. I was wondering, where's Jay at tonight? He's uh, still having some back issues. He had an MRI done earlier this week, and uh, evidently they've got him on some pretty strong medication, and he's still uh, still in a lot of pain. So he told me he wasn't going. He's going to not do the show tonight. So hopefully he'll be back with us next week. Well, I hope but, he gets uh, feeling better. You know, I tell I you, he's too. a great part of y'all's show too. But, you know, he adds a lot to this. Show each of y'all add a lot to the show and all that too and all that guys. If I don't get to talk to y'all again or nothing, I want to wish y'all merry you and your families merry Christmas and a happy New Year. You I'll too, Dennis. To the show. Thanks, Dennis. You y'all too, man. All right, bud. Take Bye. care, man. But you know that's that that is amazing. What Bobby was saying, you know, the fans. Even though we we think about it now, we it really didn't dawn on us back then that you know what we were there were there. You know, to to get a, some sort of reaction out of them. Without them, we wouldn't have been anything. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And, you know, I go back again to something that Terry Funk you says a lot when you're talking to, you know, when he's talking to people. We were able to suspend reality for these people uh, for a couple hours a week. And uh, they, just like the story with Armstrong and that lady at the matches, People believed what we what we did, and uh, I think that was the beauty of it. Is is uh, we were we were able to do that, and well, I think all sports is like that. You watching a football game, or you know, you get your mind off of anything. You just consume with watching that because it's right. Like you know, it's it is for me. You know, I, I just. I just love sports, anyhow. I've got the sound turned down, but I got this football game on on the TV. And uh, <clears throat> talk about suspending reality. I'm 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 very happy tonight. I'm not in the reality of sitting in that stadium because them people look cold. <laughs> yeah, I, I I never did hear what the, I know they said before the game. Come on, how cold it was, but I hadn't heard. But I heard early in the week it's supposed to be single digits, and I can't imagine. I can't imagine playing in that. I mean, I, just, I can't imagine the, the fans that go to, uh, you know, gone year after year after year in Green Bay and in Chicago, and those blowing snowstorms. I, I, I don't know how they sit there. I, I guess 
They get a clue we don't know about. Yeah. How cold is it supposed to get down there tonight, Jerry? 39, and that feels like 9 down here. It's supposed to be 27 yeah, here tonight. Yeah. Goodness. You got that hawk wind coming off the, the coast down there. I'm sure that'll... And it's breezy. It it's feel worse. The wind's good tear you up. But I'm glad to see it myself. Get rid yeah, of me too. Back. You don't have to ride so what do the golf you do cart in the wintertime on the beach? Same thing, you just... you just. There's nobody kinda... on the beach. There's nobody on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get sandblasted out there. You get sandblasted. That wind blows. I can imagine so, with all that wind. Oof. Well, at least all the bears and everything go into hibernation, so you don't have yeah, to fool with them. I don't have to fool with nothing much tomorrow. I guess I guess the the ocean view rooms are fairly reasonable right now. <laughs> well, you can get pick your pick. <laughs> oh, when that when Matthew comes through here, there's a big hotel there. It's called uh, Hotel Tivy. All the rooms that face the water got full. All of them got water. The water came in under every sliding glass door in there. Oh, jeez. Oh, it was awful. It was. I mean, this is a big place, too. Biggest hotel down there. I mean, it's big. You know, before she passed away, Ann Bowman used to uh, manage rental properties in various, you know, apartment complexes. And, and one or two of her, her properties were condos on... Uh, on uh, Navarre Beach, and then when Ivan came through, I just I tore up Santa Rosa Island. You couldn't even get to Navarre Beach. Well, I tell you what, living on that ocean is no joke. No, it's no joke. I had a guy that's doing renovation down there on this uh, big that uh, um, gum. Uh, uh, condos, you know, subdivision down there. He lives in uh, Tampa. He said you cannot get insurance in Florida if you live on the coast. Uh, on on the beach, I mean, on the beach. No, nobody sells insurance. You got to insure yourself. I, that's an insurance company. I wouldn't insure anybody. Build a house on the beach. Huh. That's just me. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't build a house on the beach. I'd love to have one on the beach, but it's always been my dream. I've, I've never, I was born in Pensacola and never lived there, but I've always wanted to live on the beach or live in, at least live in Gulf Breeze on the, on the uh, Scambia Bay or something. Cemetery my grandmother's in overlooks Escambia Bay, so she gets a really? seaside view every all the time. And both my grandparents are buried there. Debbie, Debbie has an aunt buried. Debbie has an aunt buried down in DeRitter, Louisiana, where they lived, <clears throat> and that's the same cemetery where Debbie's dad was buried. And we went down many years ago, and uh, we. <laughs> 
we we were putting flowers on her dad's grave, and I said, well, where's your aunt buried, you know? And Debbie goes, well, I don't know. So I'm looking around. It's a church cemetery, and it's fairly large, but I'm looking around. I can't find it anywhere. And I look, and way down, it's probably 100, 100, 150 yards, way down at the end of this fenced-in cemetery, there's one marker down there by itself. And I told Debbie, I said, do you think? And she goes, well, I don't think so. But so I walked down there. Sure enough, that was her aunt's grave, and it That's was right. facing it was facing opposite from what all the other tombstones were. And I thought that's odd. So Debbie's cousin, who was the the daughter of this aunt, we asked her why is she buried down there, and she told us she said that uh, just the other side of the fence there there was a pathway that of course I didn't know anything about, and it goes down to a lake, and she said that was her favorite fishing spot. And she said every day her and two or three of her friends would go down there and fish. And she said it was her mother's request to be buried down there so that her friends could wave at her on the way to the fishing hole every day. Isn't that something? So that's where she's, why she was down there right by herself. Well, I can't top that. I'm going to have to go on that one, guys. Yeah, I think we're going going to cut it short tonight anyway. All right. But, uh... Tell you what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about various bookers. Oh, that'll work, be interesting. Work with and work for. So, so we'll like just that. we'll we'll beat everybody in the territory next week. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll start all, all right, my so. pencils up before we start, so we can. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Jay will be be able to be back with I us. But so. uh, if not, we'll we'll carry on. But uh, anyway, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, we'll get together next week, and we'll. Uh, We'll do this one more time. Sounds Sounds good. Have a good week, everybody. Everybody. Bye-bye. Good night. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.